chapter 3. We are going through John chapter 3, verse by verse. We're going through the whole book of John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Verse 22, the Gospel of John. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Aenean near Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. And you yourselves bear me me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Verse 29, we're going to be spending the heart of our message this morning on this verse. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you so much that we can gather, Lord, We can gather even here in Boston, Massachusetts with a storm looming and we can get into your word and be warmed by it, convicted by it, built up by it, warned by it, encouraged by it, Lord. Oh, how we need your word, how we need your presence, how we need you in this room Pray for us as well as every church in this city this morning, Lord, that the word would go out, people would change. And not just, Lord, forbid that we just come here and go through a religious ritual, standing and sitting and standing and sitting and leaving. No, Lord, please change us by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So in the first 21 verses in John chapter 3, a man by the name of Nicodemus uh, had come to Jesus by night, believing, it says in verse 2, that Jesus was from God, but he was clearly holding back. He was holding back. Now we didn't read through those verses this morning, that's where we've been the last few weeks. If you weren't here, you may want to get the... CD, or listen online. Jesus speaking, 21 verses dedicated to this man who came to him, but he came by night and who was holding back. Are you in that place this morning? 
Nicodemus knew Jesus was from God, but he was holding back. You know Jesus is the way, but you're holding back. I think you've come to the right place. Hopefully this morning you will be persuaded that you need to stop holding back. Every person in this room, me, me especially, (laughs) spent time holding back, knowing Jesus was the way, but holding back. No, no, no. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He greeted Jesus. How does Jesus respond? Straight talk. It's the great thing about God. Great thing about Jesus. He could not possibly have been more direct with this man Nicodemus. Nicodemus was holding back. Jesus clearly was not. I'm so thankful that the Lord does not hold back with us, even when we're holding back with him. Jesus tells them in verse 3, Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, which is our way of saying, I'm not kidding around, Nicodemus. This is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Jesus finishes the conversation in verses 19 through 21 just the way he began. Straight talk, direct talk, crystal clear talk. Nicodemus, you need to get out of the darkness and come into the light. End of conversation. Verse 19, read with me. He's still speaking to Nicodemus. He says, this is the condemnation. Nicodemus, meaning this is why people are completely separate from God today and they're living in a prison house and and not free and in bondage. This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deed should become exposed. They don't come to the light. They don't come to God. They don't come to Jesus because, man, if they do, they're going to have to be putting all this ugly stuff into the light, Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light. So Jesus is calling Nicodemus to the light. Get out of the darkness, Nicodemus. And come to the light. So Nicodemus goes off into the night, into the darkness. He's got a lot to think about. The Lord does that with us, doesn't he? Thank God. In verse 22, the scene changes. The scene changes. And so let's read it again. It says, after these things... Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, just a little side note, in chapter 4, verse 2, it says that Jesus himself didn't baptize. So it wasn't Jesus baptizing, it was his disciples. When you're out there serving the Lord, the Bible says it's actually the Lord that is working. And, 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 And so... Um, It says he came and his disciples were baptizing. Verse uh, 23, 
continues and says, now John also was baptizing in Anin uh, near Salim. Now this is John the Baptist, different guy than the man who wrote this book. It's a different John. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was also baptizing uh, because there was much water there and they, ca- and they came and were baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. John the Baptist would be thrown into prison by the king and then he would be executed there. Verse 25, then there arose a dispute, an argument between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So an argument arose between some of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and certain Jews. Now in reality, all of them were Jews. <laughs> but um, uh, between, there's an argument between them about purification. Purification, it means spiritual cleansing. Having the sin in you, the evil in you, the dirtiness, the ugly in you washed away, purification. They got into an argument about it, and apparently the argument was over John's baptism and whether it worked for, for washing away sins versus Jesus' baptism. Because they say in verse 26, they say, it says they came to John and said to him, so there's this argument, and they take the argument to John and they say to him in verse 26, Rabbi... He who was with you beyond the Jordan, he's talking about Jesus now, they're talking about Jesus, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. So here you, here you have them completely missing the point. Purification, spiritual cleansing, doesn't come from baptism. It never has. It never will. But tragically, man is ever getting into infuriatingly meaningless arguments about religion, which just the devil just rejoices over. Uh, it's, uh, John, that man, Jesus, his baptism is working better than yours because everyone's going over to him. Now, John responds. He responds in verse 27. Now he responds in the same way that often Jesus responds. If you look through the Gospels and read about Jesus. Jesus responds in a similar way. So often in the Gospels you read about people saying something to Jesus which is just like it's just missing the point completely. And, and it's just off. Or, or rather it's beside the point. And, and what does Jesus do so often? He, he just ignores it. He, he just starts teaching, um, to, uh, responding as if he uh, didn't even hear it. And, and, and in fact, at the very beginning of this chapter, this happened. Nicodemus in verse 2 comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, no one can do the signs that you do, Jesus, unless God is with them. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait a second. Did Jesus even hear what he said? Yeah, he did. But he's getting right to the point. And, and you know, I see in that a patient, loving God. He's overlooking our silliness the stupidness that we get all caught up in 
the religious nonsense. Boy, you know, should, should I read the Bible um, uh, uh, like this or like that or at this time of day or that time of day or, 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 or should I, um, you know, go to church in the morning or the evening, whatever. You know, he, he, he goes right to the point. And, and I see really, I see a love in that, not an impatience. I see a love just directing us to the real thing. And John the Baptist here does what Jesus does. He, he responds to this. They come to him, and basically what they're saying is, you know that baptism that Jesus is doing? It must be purifying people better because everyone is going to Jesus. Well, John responds, and he doesn't even talk about the purification by baptism thing. He just talks about Jesus. Jesus himself. Not Jesus baptizing, but Jesus you want to talk about purification, about spiritual cleansing, about getting the, rid of the evil, the ugly, the darkness of your life. Let's just talk about Jesus, not baptizing. Now, I'm not minimizing the importance of baptizing. Everyone who comes to faith in Christ should be baptized. But baptism is just a sign on the outside of what Jesus has done on the inside. louder. On the inside. That's all baptism is. Which, which it, 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 I shouldn't say that's all that baptism is. This is an important step to the world to publicly make known your faith. But it, it is, it's not about baptism, sprinkling, immersion, this type of thing. It's about Jesus. And, and, and so, verse 27, John responds. And he says to them, it says, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, that's John, John's the friend of the bridegroom, Jesus is the bridegroom, we're the bride. He says in the middle of verse 29, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. So it doesn't touch the the baptism thing. It's all about Jesus, all about Jesus the groom and you the bride. It's all about uh, about you the bride and Jesus the groom coming together. It's about you coming to Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not about religious rituals. That doesn't make you pure. It's about coming to Jesus. That makes you pure. Once for all, it makes you pure. Never to be impure again, the Bible actually teaches. So at the end of verse 29, John the Baptist says, for this reason, rather, he says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He says, this joy of mine. 
is fulfilled. You know, we think about John the Baptist, we think about this guy just booming out to the multitudes and, and just basically confronting people of their sin. And when you think of like this long bearded guy, he had a long beard because he was a Nazarene. He was from birth. He didn't cut his hair. That was a Jewish there was a Jewish law of, of a vow that certain Jews uh, took. His parents made the vow for him. But we think of this guy just booming. And then when Jesus approaches, what did, what did John say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But, but we really don't think of him as a man of joy. But this is the man that God made him into this joy of mine is full, is fulfilled. So I want to talk about this. Have you ever wondered, I hope you do, where God is taking your life? I'm not talking about physically. I mean spiritually. I mean your character. I mean the man or woman who you are from the inside out. Have you ever really wondered about it? Do you ever wonder what, it, what to expect in the future in terms of what kind of man or woman is it that God is making you into? Well, here it is at the end of verse 29. Again, he said, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Let's look at a couple other translations of that. The ESV, the English Standard Version. This joy of mine is now complete. Let's look at, what do we have next? The NASB. This joy of mine has been made full. Then I have the NIV here, the full verse. It says, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. So who is it that you can expect to be in the future as a follower of Jesus Christ? Answer? A man, a woman of joy. Of completed joy. Now I know there are some of you here today, you just don't believe that. It seems so far from where you are today. It just seems crazy. You don't understand. That's just not who I am. I know. I know that's not who you are. I know that. But listen, God has chosen you to astonish the world. And to astonish yourself by transforming you into someone completely different than who you are. A man or woman 
of joy. Jesus said in John 15, on the night before his crucifixion, he said this in John chapter 15, verse 11. He's talking to his disciples and he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I think more accurately it, it, it should be translated and that your joy may become full. And then it says in John 17, 3, and this chapter is Jesus himself. He's praying directly to the Father. And he says, this is Jesus speaking to the Father, but now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. So it's speaking now here about you. You in here who have united your life to Christ by faith. It's saying, Jesus is saying, I speak these things in the world so that they, meaning you, may have my joy made complete in themselves. So you're convinced because you know yourself that God's never going to make you into a man or woman of joy. Do you know why you think things like that? Do you know why? Do you know why you think things like, well, I'll never be a man, a woman of joy. You think like that because you think your life is all about you. That's, what you th that's why you think that. You have this crazy idea that the end goal of your life has something to do with you. It doesn't. If you have come to faith in Christ, your life's all about God and the glory of God. And God loves to bring glory to himself. God is the one and the only one where when glory is brought to himself and no one else, everyone benefits. Everybody. That's why the Bible, God can actually say, I delight to see my glory. Because everyone benefits when God is glorified, and how is God glorified? By you becoming a man and woman of joy. God loves to bring glory to himself by transforming men and women who cannot possibly dream of themselves as becoming men and women of joy to become men and women of joy. Look what happened to John Jones. Look what happened to that John Jones guy. Of all people in the world to become a, a man of joy, John Jones, that, that God of his is indeed powerful, wonderful, a transforming God. That's what happens. It's not about you. That's why you're so hung up that you, you, you can't possibly get to a place of joy. You think it's about you. It's not. 
It's not about you. The end goal of your life has to do with one thing, the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says this. This is God speaking. Everyone who is called by my name, I have created for my glory. And guess what glorifies God more than anything else? Your joy in him. Listen, the reason you can expect God to make you into a man, a woman of joy is because it, because it is through your joy in him that he's most glorified. And the Bible says that God delights in his glory. Now, Jonathan Edwards, he's a man who lived uh, 250 years ago. I've spoken about him uh, recently, actually reading a couple books uh, on him right now. I'm awfully interested in the man. He preached an hour west of here, and God, it was through him that the greatest revival that ever was on American soil came. And, and look what Jonathan Edwards says right here. This is Jonathan Edwards in his book, God's Passion for His Glory, meaning God has a passion for His glory. I don't know what you are passionate about. But we, we do know, or I do know, what God is passionate about. We just read it in Isaiah 43. He's passionate for His own glory. But this is Jonathan Edwards. The end of creation is that the creation might glorify God. Now, what is glorifying God but you rejoicing at the glory He has displayed? And, and, and so you can expect God to make you into a man, a woman of joy, because that is what He wants most out of your life. Forget for a second what you want. Just forget for a few seconds what you want out of your life. That is what, that is what gets everyone so hung up. Uh, because we, we, we're so preoccupied about well, what we want for our life. Listen, it's what God himself most desires in you to become a man, a woman of joy. And specifically, joy in who God is, what he has done, what he's doing, and what he will continue to do in your life and in the world. So let's read John uh, verse 25 again through 28, because this is such a great example of what I'm talking about here. In fact, I think just the best example in the world of what I'm talking about is in John chapter 3, verses 25 through 29. Let's read them again. A dispute, an argument between some of John's disciples and the Jews came about about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, that Jesus guy, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless he has been given, it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. If you remember in John chapter 1, John the Baptist was baptizing. Jesus, no one even knew about him yet. 
We know from John, uh, Matthew chapter 3 that all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, and everyone in the area was coming out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, this really got the attention of the religious authorities, and they came out to him and they asked him, Who are you? Tens of thousands of people coming. Who are you? What was the first thing out of his mouth? I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. That's the first thing out of his mouth. And that's why he says in verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness. In other words, you were there when I said I'm not the Christ. But then he says in verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now again, the bride is you. Jesus is the bridegroom. Then he says, but the friend of the bridegroom, which is him, himself, John the Baptist, who stands and hears him, the bridegroom, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mind is fulfilled. This is so encouraging to me. What happens uh, in, in, in John the Baptist here? Let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. Let's just think about these verses. What is it that robs you of your joy? What is it? What are the things in your life which rob you of your joy? What's the thing that robs you of your joy the most? Well, you know, there's a number of things. But I'll tell you what robs uh, us of our joy, I think, as much as anything else. And that is this, our preoccupation with what others Think about us. Worrying, stressing out, obsessing what others think about us. What others think about you, it'll rob you, it does rob you of your joy. Oh no, I, I don't know what people think about me. They may not think I'm happy enough. I'm going to get to Facebook and show them I'm the happiest person on the face of the earth. Selfie, 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 with big smiles. And everyone like, 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 like. Ooh, I'm all set. You're all set for the next day. And, 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 and here's the problem. And it's a big, big problem. And this is exactly, and here's the problem. That's exactly how the world finds its joy. The world, meaning you, me, and everyone else, apart from Christ, we find our joy in glorying in what the world thinks about us. When the world does not think well of us or despises us, we lose our joy. When the world thinks well of us, admires us, thinks we're smart, thinks we're uh, beautiful, strong, sexy, whatever, we get the joy, but we soon lose it. Why? Because we're worrying. We're stressing out. We're obsessing about losing that approval, that admiration, that crazy view that some people may have of us. And, and, and that's the, let me tell you, that's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy madness. That is why so much joylessness reigns and abounds in the world. No one can keep up with that. Nobody. But listen, Christian. This is what you can expect from God. The Bible says created you for his glory and he glorifies most when you rejoice the most. You can expect that God will transform you into a man, into a woman 
who no longer cares about what others are thinking about you. You can expect God to transform you into a man or woman who is satisfied performing for an audience of one, God. And you can expect God to do this because that is the thing that will make your joy complete. And it's when your joy is complete that God is glorified. Look at verse 26. It says, these people ran to John. They ran to John and they said, John, that guy on the other side of the Jordan, Jesus, you've talked about him. Man, he's, all the people are coming to him. They're all going to him. Now, what's the natural reaction to that? Oh, no. People think, I'm sure they think I'm a failure now. I, 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 you know, they're no longer coming to me. What, what, what can I do to start getting to people to look at me again? Uh, you know, they didn't have Facebook back then. I don't know what, you know, maybe making smoke clouds or something. But, but, but you know, what, what am I going to do? No one loves me anymore. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Why? God has been doing that deep, deep work in his life. And he tells them in verse 29, listen. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. In other words, the people belong to Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom, and that's, that's me, he's saying, who stands and hears Jesus rejoices greatly. Because the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And then he says in verse 30, He must increase, but I must decrease. And and, and this this is the law, if you will, of joy. As you decrease... In your own mind. Because a person can be um, increasing. You can be shooting right up the ladder of a corporation and become a CEO. But if you're in Christ, you're decreasing. In your own mind. Not that you have a low self-esteem, any of that kind of garbage. It's just that your joy comes from the Lord. And what the Lord is doing in your life and the world is no longer coming from who the world thinks you are. Now, where did this all start? It all started with an argument about purification. It all started with an argument about purification. And, and, and what does um, John talk about? He, he takes it from an argument about purification to, to talking with them about the bride and the groom. The groom and the bride. And throughout the Bible, we have this picture of how the groom ministers to the bride. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ, the groom, loves the church you, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, same word, purify, cleanse, purify, with the washing of the water by the word. 
Once you understand who you are in Christ, four chapters before that in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that once you're in Christ, it says before God you're holy and you're blameless before him in love. He's just loving you. He's just loving you to pieces. That's when your joy is made complete. You're performing to an audience, you're living with an arg- uh, to, to an audience of one. It's God. And, and that's where John the Baptist has gotten here. And that's where the Lord is taking you. That's where you can expect God to take you. To a place where his joy is made complete in you. I will close with this verse and then we're going to have communion. It says this, uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, He who has become, begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the work that he's completed is to make you a man or woman of joy. Okay, let's have communion. If the worship team could come up, I want to say this. Where does this whole process begin with God doing a work in you which over time transforms you into a man or woman of joy? It begins just where we began today with becoming where we we talked about as we began today where Jesus says you must be born again. You must have a second birth. You were born into the world through your mother's womb but but, but the tragedy of of the human condition is they're born in sin which which they inherited from Adam and Eve and so they're born as a prisoner, as dead to God spiritually. And so Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can this be so? And Jesus answered, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John three sixteen, that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not remain in their dead condition, their spiritually dead condition, but they would have everlasting life. They'd be made alive. And that's what God does. He makes us alive. When Jesus gave us the gift of communion, sharing the the cup and the bread, the first time he did was on the night before his crucifixion. He did it with his disciples. It's a gift to those who have become children of God through faith. You may have come in here this morning Never having been born again, never having experienced that second birth, never having come to Jesus and saying, you know, I know you're the way, but I've been holding back and I've been holding back for my whole life. That was me when I was 22 years old. If you've been holding back, come up. We're going to have prayer We're going to have prayer couples up here. If you've been asked to pray, please come up now. I'm going to be up here. Come up and it is a prayer of faith where you simply 
receive Jesus and everything who he is into your life by asking him to do so. And just saying, I'm tired of holding back. Come on in, please. Forgive me of my sins. Come in and make me new. Make me a new creation. He will do that. And therefore, and, and at that point, you're free to have communion. The Bible also says that before someone who is a Christian, someone who has already asked Jesus into their life, before they have communion, before they share of, of the cup, which represents his blood, and the bread, which represents his broken body, before that, it says, let a man or woman examine themselves. Is there something you're holding on to that you know full well you can't? That Jesus died for that thing and you're insisting on holding on to it. Come up before communion and pray about it. Come up before communion and pray about it. And then the rest of us, as you're just worshiping at your leisure, there are tables in the back with the cup and the bread, just go back at your leisure and, and get a cup and bread and return to your seats and we'll have communion together. So if you've been asked to pray, I'm feeling lonely up here, prayer, prayer partners. If you've been asked to pray, uh, please come up now. But let's begin to worship, to pray and to remember the blood which is represented by the cup and his broken body that was broken for us, which is represented by the bread. Okay.